Hello, Tile friends, and welcome back to another episode of Tile Money, the podcast where I talk about the business of tiling. I am Luke Miller, your host, and today I'm interviewing Tom Cook. Tom is a CPA near me in my area here in San Luis Obispo, and I met Tom through another tile contractor who uses Tom and was very excited, and Tom has been gracious enough to do an interview. So I've got about nine questions from my audience in the Facebook group. And Tom, um, how are you today? I'm great. Good, good. Thank you for being on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Luke. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Can you give a 60-second overview of who you are and how long you've been in business and what you specialize in? Uh, 60 seconds. So I uh, graduated from Cal Poly, which is a college down here in San Luis Obispo in 1991. Uh, went to the Bay Area for 10 years, San Francisco Bay Area for 10 years, worked inside large corporations. Uh, a large CPA firm, one of the global CPA firms. Uh, didn't like living in San Jose. Uh, have, grew up in Ukiah, California, which is about 10,000 people. Okay. So I had kids around uh, 2000, you know, and decided time to get out of Dodge. Yeah. And uh, my ex-wife and I had both graduated Cal Poly, so we ended up back down here. Uh, but there's no big corporations here to uh, find jobs at. For in the tax role, so mm -hmm. ended up uh, buying a firm in uh, 2003, okay, and I've uh, been running it ever since. So I get the self-employed piece of it. I am self-employed, so I understand a lot of the business challenges of being self-employed. True, yeah. excellent. Thank you. Yeah, it seems uh, a lot of people I talk to around here have you know went to Cal Poly and then moved away and moved back. Yeah. Yeah. And you really, I mean, unless you work for the government, which includes the university, city, county, prisons, uh, or PG&E, you know, at the power plant or right. in other offices, you pretty much have to take matters into your own hands around here. Yep, that seems to be. Yeah, yep, that seems to be true. So I've got about nine um, good questions from my group. But before we get into the meat of the subjects here, uh, what hobbies or interests do you have after work? Actually, let me close my door real quick. Oh, no problem. So I, uh, I've been trying to CrossFit for seven years. And okay. uh, I CrossFit and I get hurt. And I CrossFit and I get hurt. And I CrossFit and I get hurt. So that and then uh, if I can travel, I travel. And that might just be a drive down the state, and uh, but just to get away from home, just to get yeah. away from work. As yeah. much, I mean, you know, we can't all get away from work completely, but just to get away a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that helps keep the sanity for sure, especially when yes. you're self-employed. Yeah, and if you have kids, you know, it's good to spend some time with them, give them your, your focus. True. That's one of the things I enjoy about living in California is just a few few hour drive and you can be in a whole nother world as far as scenery and climate and all that. I agree. All right. Sounds good. So the first question we had on the list here, someone asked, what is the trick to hanging on to more of my money? Well, that, that kind of almost covers the rest of the questions. Okay. That's, that's just a big giant question. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know your, your spending habits. I don't know, uh, where you live. I don't know how expensive it is to live where you live. So in terms of the business, um, it's treating it like a business. It's money coming in is not your money. Um, it's a mentality of I just collected from a, from a client for a job. That's not my money yet. Um, 
it's not my money until I've paid my taxes and I've covered my other expenses and thought about retirement and things like that. Um, and there's a, another question down here that talks about how do I pay myself? So this all kind of fits together. That's just a broad question. Uh, discipline. I mean, at the end of the day, it's budgeting and discipline. Yeah. I like that. I like that simple answer for this, but it's, it's really something a lot of us miss. And I know when I started my business, I missed that important fact that if I collected two or $3,000 on Friday, that was not my money. And I, no. my wife brought it to my attention, thankfully, pretty early on and said, no, you pay yourself a salary and that's what we live on. And the rest is the business. And, yes. Uncle Sam. and if yeah. it, you know, and then later, you know, as things progressed, I started to learn about profit and stuff. So we can learn about, we can go into that later, but um, right. All right, so the second question, and this is a popular question um, within the groups, and I've asked it, and I've, I get conflicting answers from time to time, so I'm curious to see what you have to say. When is it time to incorporate your business? Well, I, I won't work with any business that wants to incorporate unless they have books and records. That For us, that's QuickBooks. Um, you've gotta have books and records. Uh, spreadsheets don't cut it. Um, there's other accounting programs out there on the web that aren't nearly as good as QuickBooks. Uh, can't remember their names right now because we don't use them. But QuickBooks Online, you know, 20 bucks a month, uh, you can't complain about that. That's just a minor cost. Uh, using it, you're gonna have to hire a bookkeeper um, or if your spouse is, is good at it, you know, they can do it. But keeping it current. I mean, you have to really, you have to have a balance sheet. Most people don't know what a balance sheet is, but that's the other half of the profit and loss. There's the profit and loss, there's the balance sheet. I won't touch a corporation without a balance sheet um, because we don't know. The balance sheet makes it complete. It's the whole universe. You can't just look at the P&L. For a sole proprietor, they bring in the information for a P&L. We just kind of use it. It doesn't make us comfortable because we don't have a balance sheet, but we just kind of use it. With a corporation, you have to have a balance sheet. Yeah. Um, and so there's expenses, you know, you're looking at 800 bucks a year minimum to the state of California, any entity in California that's going to protect you from liability, a corporation, S corporation, which is really just a corporation, an LLC, a limited partnership, you know, any one of those is going to cost you at least 800 bucks a year to California. Right. Um, then you've got a separate return to do, um, which is going to cost you probably thousand dollars with your CPA or prepare. So you've got your personal return, then you've got this other return to do every year. And then you should be on payroll. So now you've introduced the idea of payroll and you have to pay yourself a, a salary of some kind, uh, which is more cost. So you have payroll processing fees, QuickBooks Online. You could probably wrap it all together and, and get the payroll included for 60, 70 bucks a month. Not a deal breaker. Um, and, and there's positives to that. But really, you need to get your business to a level where it's consistently making enough money to justify spending that additional money to be a corporation. And I'd say, you know, until you get to, at a bare minimum, a consistent $80,000 plus a year of net income, don't even bother. Okay. Uh, because you're not going to be able to commit the resources to keeping the books in order. Uh, you're not going to be able to afford, at that level, the cost of maintaining the corporation. Uh, yeah, and the payoffs aren't there. And we can get into the payoffs later, but there, there are payoffs, potential tax savings to being incorporated. Um, but until you're at a certain level, they don't balance out. Okay. So as a general rule of thumb, 
once your personal income gets to be about 80,000, it would be time to start looking into that. Right. Once your profit from the business gets to be about 80,000 or so, because it gets expensive. I mean, when your self-employment tax is a killer um, and any, anybody listening has filed taxes <coughs> as a self-employed person knows that that's the killer. I mean, you can end up with zero income tax on your tax return and $15,000 of self-employment tax. Right. Um, and that's the killer. And there's ways with incorporating where you can save some of that. Keep it in mind that if you're paying less self-employment tax today, that means less social security later. So there's trade-offs. Trade All right. Well, I think that's a, that's a great answer. I appreciate it. Thanks. So moving on to question three, Someone asked the pros, what are the pros and cons of being an LLC, limited liability company versus a corporations in terms of taxes, rates, tax breaks, salary with dividends, distribute, distribute, distribute. Distributions, yeah. Thank you. What to consider when choosing between the two? I got hung up there. <laughs> yeah. So from a live, why are you doing it? So are you, are you looking to be a corporation or an LLC? Why? Is it for tax savings is it, or is it for liability protection? You have to answer that and you have to decide that. Once you've decided that, because that's not tax, that's, that's legal liability protection. Once you've decided that, if you're currently a sole proprietor and you file your 1040 and have your Schedule C and you do all that, an LLC is not going to save you any taxes, period. In fact, it's going to cost you $800 a year at least to California for being an LLC. And I say that because an LLC is essentially a partnership, taxed as a partnership. So every single penny that it earns is taxed for self-employment purposes, just as if you're a Schedule C. So it saves you zero self-employment tax. Um, there's really no tax benefits to being an LLC, uh, converting from LLC to a sole proprietor, I mean, sole proprietor to an LLC. Okay. Um, the corporation, again, you know, if you get to that level, uh, let's say you're making $80,000 a year, Self-employment tax on $80,000, net income a year is $12,000. So if you incorporated and then did what's called an, an election to be treated as an S-corporation, and you stopped right there, all $80,000 would come out to you on your individual term with no self-employment tax. So you just saved $12,000. Beautiful. Well, the IRS says, you know, the IRS and the California Department, EDD, Employment Development Department, don't like that. So they're going to audit you. If, you. if you just convert, you treat all $80,000, as dividends out to you with no self-employment tax, eventually they're gonna come knock on your door because you know you are earning the wage, you're just not paying it as wages. So then you pick a number, and there's no right number, there's all kinds of court cases that say there's no right number. You pick a number between zero and 80 to pay yourself in wages, let's say you pick 40, and I'm just making this up. So at 40, your self-employment tax is only six, but you've introduced $800 a minimum a year to the state of California, You've introduced a thousand dollar, let's say, tax prep fee. You've introduced payroll processing fees of say eight hundred. So you have a twenty six hundred dollar cost at a minimum to save six thousand. And I'm not saying that forty. I'm not saying the IRS or DDD would like the forty. They may challenge you on the forty. It should. Be, they say it should be eighty. Um, and there's there's a court case where a CPA of all things was making a ton of money, four hundred thousand dollars a year, lots of money, and the same amount of money. And he paid himself 20 as wages. Wow. Yeah. They didn't like that. <laughs> went, to, went to court. The IRS hired their own expert witness. He hired his expert witness. 
The IRS said it should have been, he should have paid himself in the hundreds. His expert witness said probably in the high, like 90s. And the judge ultimately just went, eh, you know, 90 something. Okay. So there's no right answer. Um, but it's something you have to be reasonable about. So there, there is a way there uh, within this corporation to save the self-employment tax. Um, otherwise, S corporation versus being a sole proprietor, fairly similar in terms of what you can deduct and not deduct. And these are all general answers. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for the LLC, what would be the mate? What would be the, the benefit if someone, or would it, would there be zero benefit? There's zero benefit. So I'm assuming a, a single owner uh, of a tile business wants right. to become an LLC. That's referred to as a single member LLC. It, for tax purposes, income tax purposes, it's a nothing. There's, okay. there's no separate, for California, there's a separate form you attach to your individual return. But for the federal return, your federal individual return, nothing's different. Okay. It's, it's exactly the same. Interesting. And you just pay $800 more in the state of California. Yeah. More. So no benefit. Okay. Well, that's, that's interesting. Um, are there any benefits in protection or? Yeah. Well, again, I'm not an attorney. Uh, okay. And that's why I said that's kind of a legal thing, but, okay. but yes, I mean, for me as a CPA, I'm incorporated. I'm an S corporation. Okay. Uh, if somebody were to walk in my office and trip and fall and fall on a pencil and impale themselves and get lead poisoning and, you know, there was a, a, a legal battle and a settlement in excess of my, my, liability, my general liability policy. They could take everything inside my corporation, but they couldn't get through the veil to me and my stuff. Okay. If, if I was doing a return for Apple and I screwed up and it was a, a $2 million, $3 million penalty that was incurred, and I don't ever touch work that could result in that kind of penalty, but if I did and it exhausted my liability coverage, my corporation would not protect me. If I, if I screwed up in the conduct of my business as a professional, the corporation, would, I could have five corporations between the client and me and they would just go straight through all corporations right to me. Okay. So that's a, my general understanding of how I operate. I could be off and I'm not an attorney, but that's how I believe it works. Okay. So an LLC could protect you, but at the same time, $800 a year minimum. Talk to my insurance carrier. I already have insurance. Hey, right. insurance carrier. How much more liability protection can I get for 800 bucks? Yeah. Probably a lot. Because the first, the first level of liability coverage is the expensive part. To add another million dollars isn't all that expensive. Mm -hmm. And so for 800 bucks, you could probably get a couple million dollars more coverage. Yeah. Just yeah. That's, the, that's my analysis of, of if, you're gonna, if you want the liability protection, look at that, look at the insurance. Do you have enough assets to even justify spending Right. Yeah. yeah. I like and, it. And in the tile business, I mean, realistically, what's the worst that's going to happen? Well, yeah, flood someone's home um, would probably be the worst. Right. But you have insurance for that. Correct. Right. But I mean, you flood someone's home, they fall and they drown in the water. Okay. Maybe that's a conceivable thing. But <laughs> how much liability protection do you actually need? Correct. Okay. I appreciate it. That's a clear, clear, concise answer. So I, it sounds like, you know, once you get to a certain point, definitely look into an S corp or some sort of corporation. Yeah. yeah. And those rules change all the time. I mean, they, the idea that this, this money flows out, the distributions or dividends, we're going to call it flows out tax free to you is under attack all the time. Mm -hmm. 
And, and it's, it's kind of weird that it's that way, that it's allowed to be tax-free when a partnership that's essentially kind of taxed the same, their distributions are subject to self-employment tax as corporations are. So it comes up every couple of years. They talk about, you know, doing away with that. So you have to always know that whatever you may decide to do can change as well. Okay. That's good advice. Thanks. So let's see, moving on here to question, to question five, at what point does a small business need a CPA as opposed to a tax preparer? Uh, tax preparer is kind of a vague thing. Uh, are they an EA? And the EA is an enrolled agent. Uh, an enrolled agent doesn't need, um, actually, I actually don't think an EA needs a high school diploma. Okay. Um, but they have to pass a test with the IRS to, to demonstrate a minimum level of knowledge and they have to maintain a certain number of hours of education every year. There's great EAs out there. There's bad EAs out there. There's great CPAs out there. There's really bad CPAs out there. Um, there's great tile people out there. There's really bad tile people out there. So I don't think you're going to go wrong. You just have to check references. Um, okay. Ask around. If someone's telling you, man, my tax person, they write off so much stuff. I get, oh my God, I get, I get all this money back. Probably a warning flag. That's not a good thing. Because right. honest, honestly, there's not a lot of, of stuff to write off in excess of what you're spending to run your business. Right. Maybe, maybe a home office deduction. Uh, you know, you get mileage tends to typically be the best way to go. Um, but if, if somebody's bragging about how huge their refunds are from their tax person because they write off all this stuff, I'd stay away from that person because it's going to bite you in the butt someday. That could be a red flag. That could be a red flag. But again, great EAs, great CPAs, bad EAs, bad CPAs. But if, if people are bragging about all the stuff they write off for them, I've had clients come in, new clients come in, bring a return from someone else. And the first thing I do when I get a new client as I, as I enter their prior year tax return so I can roll it forward to the next year so I'll have two-year comparisons to look at. And I'll be inputting some of their data. I'll ask them, where'd this number come from? And they'll look at it and think, I don't know what that is. I didn't give them that number. And there's preparers out there that will actually make stuff up wow. and put it on returns because they like pleasing the clients and getting the big refunds. That's scary. It's very scary. That sounds scary, yeah. But they're signing the returns at the bottom saying, I declare under penalties of perjury that this return is, is correct. Correct. Yeah, so it's, it's gotta be careful, as, yeah. with every, as with everything. So do your research and ask yeah, if around. You're, if you're gonna be incorporating and becoming a, a, you know, an S-Corp and, and dealing with the payroll and all of that, you just wanna keep it all together. I mean, you really don't want to have the payroll done over here because you're gonna save five bucks. You don't wanna have this done over here because you're gonna save 10 bucks. Find a company that can do it all. Uh, you're gonna get the best service. You're gonna get the best ability to help you plan. Uh, yeah. And then that could be a EA or just a, a CPA. It doesn't, they just have to be qualified. Okay, that makes sense. And both of those have, I believe both have websites you can go to California. I think you can go to this, the licensing board for us and you can look up that, look them up and see if there's any, any marks against them. I think it's the same for EAs. Okay, all right, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I see I skipped this question. You did. We'll go back one question here to question yeah. four. Yeah. This was a good so, one. I don't like this one at all. Um, I will never tell my clients to spend all their money at the end of the year. Uh, yeah. Ever. Um, my thing is make as much money as you can and pay the tax on it. 
because you are gonna you're gonna at worst you're gonna pay fifty percent fifty cents on a dollar. I know it's bad, but at worst you're gonna pay fifty cents on a dollar in taxes. You still got fifty cents left. You go spend that dollar, it's gone. Right. And you saved fifty percent taxes. And the thing you bought, you may not need. It's gonna depreciate super fast. No, hold on to your money. Only buy things that you need. Um, and you you have some control at the end of the year in terms of billing. You know, do I want to bill the client or do I want to January? Uh, you have some control in buying materials and supplies. You can't overbuy because it becomes inventory. Uh, but you have some flexibility in the year to control the timing of things. Okay. Beyond that, don't spend money you don't need to spend. Hold on to it. It's your money. I mean, it's 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 your money. Uh, yeah. And if you spend ten thousand dollars, you'll save five thousand dollars in tax. But you you have ten thousand dollars less dollars. I'd rather have five thousand dollars in my pocket. I'd rather not spend the 10 and have five left than to spend the 10 and zero left. A lot of, um, one year I was told to buy a $70,000 brand new truck and I, I didn't want to do that and I did not do that. <laughs> but then about March or April, the next, the very next year, my, my truck broke down. So I did end up buying uh, a newer truck. It wasn't 70,000, but right. Uh, right. I kind of, you know, it was one of those things. Um, I was a few months late, but it did help on that year. I, and I did. Yeah. Vehicle. Yeah. And you know, again, it's need. Do you need it? Um, and timing is tough. You didn't know you needed it at the time. Uh, the other piece of that is, and it might be implied in this question. I strongly discourage people from spending. Actually, I wouldn't encourage anyone to spend $70,000 on a truck. I'd say, do you need a truck? Yes. Go find the best truck you can find. It might be used. Right. But find the best truck you can find for the least amount of money um, and deal with that. Okay. Then if you have to borrow money, so let's say you do a five-year loan, you know, $70,000 truck with no interest, that's $14,000 a year in payments. So you buy the $70,000 truck and your CPA says, well, write it all off this year to reduce your tax to zero. Okay, well, that's gone now. Right. But, for the, but for the next four years, you got to keep paying $14,000 a year with zero benefit. Yeah. I mean, I had this contractor once that every year he'd buy a new truck, a new box van or whatever on debt. And every year he'd write it off and every year. And then it got to the point where he couldn't borrow money anymore because he had so much debt and he had already written off everything he had bought, but he still had five payments at $800 a month for the next, you know, two to three years. Wow. Absolutely destroyed him. Try to talk him out of it. He was convinced it was the best thing to do. Like, no. So, so I think my advice is always people match the depreciation with the loan. So if you buy a $70,000 truck, depreciate it over five years. So you, as you're making the payments, you're getting the benefit year to year. It's harder um, to not get that immediate, what do they call it, dopamine or whatever, that good feeling that you Gratification. Have. Yeah. Well, I've, I beat the IRS this year. Well, yeah. yeah. But just screwed yourself. <laughs> yeah that's a short a short win but uh yeah long run yeah sounds like it's a bad idea and i don't know if this is um a question or not but oftentimes i'll, I'll pick up a client and they'll come in in march to have their prior taxes done they've paid no estimates they've done nothing and you know they owe fifteen thousand dollars well i don't have it okay it's fine Let's put that $15,000 on the payment plan with the IRS over five years, the lowest number they'll take, but 
you must immediately start saving taxes for next year so that when next year comes around, you're not in the same boat, adding more money to your debt with the IRS. It's okay to owe them money. Okay. They're more than happy to put you on a payment plan. The interest rate is reasonable, just, but you got to commit to yourself. That's the last one. I'm going to do this one on payments. Last year's on payments. This year, I'm going to start sending in my estimated payments so that when I get there next year, I'm going to be good. Interesting. Yeah. I like it. Very reasonable. What, approximately, what is the interest rate? Does it vary? It varies. I think right now, it's, I'll make up a number, 6%. Okay. So yes. pretty low. You no, know, it's really low. lower than credit cards, lower than a lot of stuff. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because they want to get paid. They want to get paid. I mean, the thing to keep in mind is they're not really the bad guy. Their job is to enforce the tax law. And, and they're, they're going to work with you because they want to get paid. They know if they don't work with you, you're going to disappear. Uh, the numbers are just going to mushroom. And ultimately, they'll get very little. But the, they want to work with you to make sure that, that you stay on track and they get paid. That makes a lot of sense. It's a, I mean, in a way, it's a business. Um, sure. Kind of crappy business, but it's a business. Sure. <laughs> so number six is, as a self-employed contractor, how should I pay myself? We've already touched on this a little bit, but maybe just dial it in. So what you said, you know, it's not, you know, I said it's not your money. You collect that $3,000, it's not your money yet. Um, you've got to save that money. You've got to, you've got to know uh, what bills are coming up, what haven't I paid. My general suggestion for people is take 30% of that and either if you're not disciplined, either immediately pay it to the IRS or give it to your spouse and say, if they're just more disciplined, put this in the savings account for taxes. But don't, that 30% right off the top just is gone. Just from the, you bring in 3,000, 900 goes into the savings account or immediately goes to the IRS. Uh, and so how you pay yourself is kind of what's left over. Mm -hmm. And it, it you, after a while, you just kind of get a sense of these things and what your expenses are going to be. Um, you know, maybe it's a percentage. Maybe you're 30, maybe it's 30% or 40%. 40% I want to bring in, I'm going to put in my pocket. 30% is going to go over here for taxes. The rest is going to stay in to pay some bills. But it just takes experience and budgeting and discipline to kind of figure out what those are. Worst case scenario, you put too much money away for taxes. Right. Oh, darn. I've got a little left over. Little much better, yeah, much better than putting 15% away and still owing a bunch at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's where you're going to figure out whether you're making it or not. I mean, if, if you can't take 30% and put it away for taxes, take 20%, put it away for expenses and live on what's left, this may not be working for you. I mean, it, it is, that's kind of a reality check. Yeah. Yeah. I've had clients year after year after year, they, they keep adding to their debt with the IRS and eventually I don't see them anymore. They're gone. Yeah. That's sad. I hate doing those returns. I mean, it's, it's just a gut wrenching thing every time I do it and I have to call them and say, you owe $7,000 and I know they don't have it. Yeah. It sucks. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big problem in the trades, unfortunately. Well, yeah. And it's, you know, you see it, I see it, uh, you a lot of people undercharge because there's a competition from the alliances contractors. They're afraid they're not going to get the job, so they underbid it. Um, they've already eaten through the money from that job before they're done, so they're out trying to get the next job, underbidding that job, and it just becomes the cycle where they do phenomenal work, passionate about their work, beautiful work, but end up failing because they don't charge enough. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not in that role. I mean, I am in, a, I am in that way. I mean, I have a, a rate for my work and 
sometimes when I'm telling people, they'll say, well, how much? You know, there's that little thing inside of you that goes, I don't want to say the wrong number because then they won't use me, you know. Um, so I get it. It's hard. Yep. But if you're not going to make, if you can't do the math and say, from this job, I'm going to make $10,000, $3,000 for taxes, $2,000 for expenses, you know, 5000 left for me. Am I going to be able to make a living off of that? If, you, if it's not working, you're just going to dig yourself in a hole. Right. And the only way I see, you know, I've talked about doing this is to work your way backwards. You, you have to figure out how much you need overall, you know, at a yearly basis and then break it down month by month and then break it down how many days you work. Right. And then start adding those numbers up and start to get to get to know as, you know, as fine detailed as you can, preferably an hourly rate. And that way, like you said, when you, your client asks or your potential client, you can say with confidence well, it's this much per hour. And you know in your head all the reasons why. Yeah. We didn't even talk about this. And uh, number one mistake I put up there on my notes is uh, number one danger of being self-employed, not treating it like a job. Okay. Um, you know, what is your hourly rate? So let's say it's, you know, 40 bucks an hour. So if you were to work at a company, if you take 40 hours a week times 52 weeks, that's 2,080 hours. And if you were making 40 bucks an hour, uh, or 50 bucks an hour, that'd be $104,000 a year. Okay. For your, for your labor. Um, you know, that's your rate. Understanding you leave work for two hours to go take your daughter to a soccer game because, Hey, I'm, I'm self-employed. I'm flexible. You're now that's two hours that you didn't make 50 bucks. Right. You want to take time off to go do this, you know, go to the surf. Well, you know, that's four hours just didn't work. That surfing session cost you $200. Um, until you can start thinking about your time that way as self-employed, it's very dangerous. Um, oh, I'm self-employed. I've got this flexible lifestyle. Uh, every hour you're not working, it's costing you 50 bucks. Yeah. You know, you want to go on vacation for two weeks, 80 hours, that's $4,000 you didn't make. Yeah. So that's another thing that if you want a vacation with family, you should be saving for because those two weeks you're, you're not there. You're not making money. Right. So right. that's, a, it's a huge danger. I deal, you know, I have kids in soccer and I'd be gone for a couple hours. Those are how you aren't working. Those are hours where you're not generating revenue. Yeah. If you were an employee, you wouldn't have that flexibility, but you'd also be getting paid for time. Um, so that's a huge, that's a huge danger. And it, it kind of folds into what you said. You have to work backwards. Okay. If my hour, you come up with your hourly rate. If I was to work 20, 80 hours a year, that'd be this much money. Is that enough to live off of after taxes? Because I can guarantee you self-employment taxes on $104,000 self-employment income taxes, it's going to approach 40%. Yeah. That's a lot of money. And so you've got 60 left out of 104. Is that enough to live off? of? Mm -hmm. Yep. And I always, I always say if you want to make, um, Say you wanted to bring home $50 an hour or $2,000 a week, your hour, hourly rate should be somewhere around $100 an hour, your billing rate. Would you say that to be a rough, true? Well, yeah, because you can't be, I mean, in, in your profession, you can't always be working. Correct. I mean, you, you've got to be bidding, you've got to be collecting, you've got to be doing all this other stuff. Um, so, yeah. So you divide that, you take the 20 hour, 20, 80 available hours, that's, you know, you know eight to five with lunch in there. So you take those are your available hours. You say, okay, well, some of those hours I'm not going to be productive, and it, it applies in my business where we, 
you know, we expect our people to be, I'll make up a number, 80% chargeable. Right. So, you know, 28 times 2080 is 1,664 hours. So if you take that same $100,000, that's $60 an hour. Right. So because you're not working those 20 hours, it just increase the hourly rate that you need to be charging to end up at the same spot. Yep. And if it's more like 60% chargeable, then it goes up even more. Yep. Does that make sense? Definitely, definitely. Okay, right. And don't forget to add in your, your desired vacations to that calculation. Yeah, all of that. All, all of that. Stuff. Yeah, reti well, retirement comes out of your profit, but you got to be saving for that too. Yeah, yeah. So a lot to consider. And, and really, you know, we're just kind of touching on the tip of the iceberg here. I recommend everybody to sit down with, with their CPA and, you know, dial it in what's best for you and what's best for your, your situation because it's all... I and keep in mind that, that most people aren't going to be able to help you without numbers. Correct. I mean, you, you, I've had people come in and sit down from across the desk from me. What do I do to improve things and bring nothing with them? I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I can't help you. Yeah. So, you know, it's, you, you need, well, number one, you need to get good records and, and sign up for QuickBooks. It, and you may have to pay somebody to do it for you, but you don't know how you're doing you may look at the bank balance and go, oh, I've got $10,000 in there. I'm doing good this week. Better not. You have no idea. Right. Maybe you are, but you have really no idea. Right. Could uh, be great. Could be terrible. Right. The bank balance is not a good indicator of how you're doing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, find a bookkeeper. They're kind of hard to find right now because everyone's busy. But if they're charging 15 bucks an hour, they're probably not very good. You know. Same yep. thing. Same thing as, you know, if you're, if you're in a trade and you, you want to be charging 50, 60 bucks an hour, 80 bucks, 90 bucks, 100, don't cheap out on the people that are going to help you run your business. Right. Correct. Because they're going to be garbage. Right. Yeah. We need to start, you know, looking at professionals and respecting them the same way we want to be respected. So yeah. now moving on to question number seven, someone asked about a lot of times, uh, customers will want to pay us in cash and they do this. Maybe they're asking for a discount or maybe they're implying that we could, you know, work under the table. So someone asked, are cash jobs good or bad? And it's 1099ing employees, a good system or a bad system. Cash jobs are great. Just put it in the bank. Sure. <laughs> Report it. Um, don't discount it. I mean, cause I think that sends a message about you as a person. Yeah. Um, Hey, if I pay you in cash, will you discount it 10%? No, because you're implying that I'm not going to report this income. And that is inferring something about my character that yeah. I'm not legitimate. And so I, I just think, I just think from the very get go that that sends the wrong message about who you are. Yeah. No, no, I don't take a discount for cash. Right. In fact, go the other way, go to QuickBooks, sign up and sign up for credit cards. Right. Man, I don't take cash, but I take credit cards. Really? Wow. That's amazing. That's unusual. Yeah. They get their airline miles. Sure. There's a 3% hit on that. Oh, well. It's part of doing business. Yeah. But I would just go the complete opposite. No. No discount. But hey, I take credit cards. Yeah. I think, I think the reaction to that from people is going to be amazing. It is. Yeah. I've, I've been taking credit cards for a while now and 
a lot of people really appreciate it for one reason yeah. or another. Like you said, people are, you know, adding miles up on their credit cards or whatever. Yeah. And I just think it sends a complete wrong message. Plus there's several disadvantages. One is if you get audited, they'll figure it out. Right. Um, things like they'll look at your, your bank statement or your credit card statement and they'll say, where's, where's your groceries? You know, cause you felt the cash to buy groceries or where's your gas? I don't see a lot of gas. You're claiming 30,000 miles, but I don't see a lot of gas charges on your credit cards and bank statements. How are you paying for that? Cash. Or you, you get audited and they say, well, I want to see your receipts for buying materials and all the receipts say cash. Well, where'd that cash come from to buy those materials? Yeah. Or you want to go get a loan. Well, your income's not high enough on your tax return because you don't report the cash. So tons of negatives, um, not a lot of positives, except maybe paying less tax, um, but just not a good thing to do, I don't think. Yeah. And then I would not uh, 1099 somebody working for you unless they are licensed, um, they have their own tools, uh, their own insurance, and all of that. If you're, if you're in California is super duper strict and they just got more strict on this. Uh, if you've got somebody that you're telling them when to be there, you're providing the tools, you're directing their work, all of it. And that's just the basics. I think you're looking at an employee, um, which is bad. I mean, because it's a lot of paperwork and a headache and all of that. But there was a nightmare scenario I saw where somebody had two, three employees paying them every month, let's say five hours. Years go by. One of them had to have turned them in and he was doing 1099. Right. So you were, you were only talking like, 300 bucks a month per person. So let's say, you know, $1,500 a month of payroll. I was thinking, I keep in mind, I had been advising this client that not to do this. That okay. These were employees. They need, ah, don't, don't do it. In my mind, I was just thinking payroll taxes that he was going to get hit with payroll taxes. No, someone, someone had to have turned him in. He got audited by the EDD or department of labor, department of labor, I think. $100 per employee per pay period penalty for not giving a pay stub with all the required information on it. That wasn't even tax. Right. $40,000 penalty. Wow. Yeah. So you are going to piss off one of these people. They are going to turn you in. And do you want to deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. I found it. It's always a good idea to, to do everything the legal way and make sure, you know, if this is tempting, it's tempting for a lot of guys because one, a lot of people out there are unscrupulous and are practicing this. And you know, they're, they might be able to do things at a cheaper rate than you can do if you have a completely legal business. So it is tempting and I understand the temp, you know, the temptation there, but it's really a short term, a short term solution and it can cause a lot of problems like Tom just mentioned. And basically it's bad for our trade because it's just, it's not helping to get the, the, uh, the hourly rate, the daily rate, the square footage rate up to where it actually should be to run a legitimate business. So I would recommend, you know, if they're an employee and you know, they are, there's a pretty simple formula. If they show up every day when you tell them to, and you provide tools or, you know, tell them what to do every day, they're an employee bottom line. Yeah. If you can get them licensed or, um, licenses is kind of a good way out of it. I mean, if they're right. licensed, if they have a license, I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing anything. They can still be an employee. 
Um, if they have their own, their own insurance on top of that license, even better. But then they get more expensive. Um, so it's, it's tough. But if you as a group don't elevate your own profession, no one else will. Correct. The scabs aren't. You know, the, the unlicensed people are. The illegal people doing it aren't going to elevate your profession. It's you guys that have to do that. And it hurts. It's painful, especially when you do that and you lose a job to the guy that's doing it the other way. Yeah. But in the long run, it's a good, good practice. And your, your clientele is going to continue to get better and better, the people that you work for. And if someone's looking for a discount or, you know, a cheaper contractor, they're not your ideal client anyways. It's hard. It sucks. I mean, it sucks saying no to somebody. I've gotten better at it. It's hard. I still say yes to people. And as I'm saying yes, I'm telling myself you should not be saying yes. (laughs) Um, Generally doesn't turn out well for anyone. Yeah. Um, And I, I still make mistakes. I still say yes when I shouldn't be saying yes. Yep. That's something that I, I struggle with personally. So I can relate to that. So number eight question, um, I guess this is talking about growth, um, growing a company over 1 million in revenue, I'm going to guess. Uh, he asked, what is the number one thing holding back a business grossing under 1 million in your opinion? So he's, I guess he's wanting to get over that 1 million mark. Probably infrastructure. You know, it, it, it's overhead. Getting somebody at that level, you probably have a full-time accountant on staff. Uh, you probably have somebody doing bidding for you um, that's not you, or maybe it is you. Um, it's running it like a million-dollar company, and and at first you could set it up, talk to people that do it, that have it, start setting yours up that way. Maybe it's a maybe it's a bookkeeper who comes in one day a week at first. Uh, maybe you you're doing all the bidding. Um, labor pool. I mean, your labor pool is going to be probably your biggest challenge, finding people to do the work, finding qualified people to do the work, you know, getting them on payroll, getting the work comp paid, all of that, but treating it like a business. Um, if you're still trying to do it on spreadsheets and, and other things, you're, you're going to fail miserably. Um, but I see the biggest challenges, at least around here, labor pool. Yeah. I mean, you could go out and sell a million dollars worth of work pretty easily, maybe not around here, but in the Bay Area, you could. Yeah. Then you got to get it done and done right without callbacks. Yeah. Um, Cause the callbacks will destroy your job. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's a huge problem right now. Um, things are busy, like you said, and the workers have um, employees have a lot of, a lot of options when they're thinking about working for someone. So that could be a huge, a huge obstacle. Like you said, you could be the best salesman in the world, but if you don't have the workforce. <laughs> right. And the infrastructure, because you have to build, you have to do the liens. I mean, depending on the size of the job, you know, you should be doing pre-liens if you can. Um, all that takes people. All that takes overhead. Um, you trying to do it on the weekends, not an answer. Um, right. You know, trying to do it at night when you're trying to be home with the family, not an not going to Actually, it's not going to happen. It's not an answer because it's just not going to happen. Right. You promise yourself I'll do it tonight. I'll do it on the weekend. Or it doesn't happen. Um, so you just have to set things up for that million dollar company and then grow into it Yeah, from day one. Cause you got to borrow money. I mean, to get to that million dollars, you're probably going to have to borrow money. So you're going to need financial statements. Um, they're going to be pretty well prepared financial statements. Um, you might have bonding at that point to deal with, I don't know what kind of jobs you'd be working on, but it's, it's overhead. Yeah. 
if someone starts, um, if someone's doing, you know, 200,000 in, in gross sales a year, is there a, is there a rule of thumb as how fast they should grow percentage wise year after year? Uh, I don't have one. I mean, it should be at least with inflation. I mean, you should at least be inc increasing with inflation in terms of your, your profit. Okay. Same exact works every year. If everything else is the same, inflation continues to grow. And the number the government gives us for inflation isn't, isn't the number. I mean, your material costs are going up a lot. Right. Um, and so if you're, especially if you're including in your gross, you're, if you're, if you're charging a client for materials, that should be going up at least by the percentage that the materials are going up. And those are going up far faster than um, the stated inflation rate. Yeah. So, you know, if you want growth beyond that, first of all, you have to say, here's the inflation rate. Here's my inflation rate. You know, my insurance is going up more than 3% a year. My materials are going up more. So you have to factor that, and then you want growth on top of that. Uh, just depends on, on how much you want. Again, you can go out and sell tons of unprofitable jobs. I mean, you could take your gross to a million dollars tomorrow if you wanted to, but you could go broke because you underbid all of it. Mm. So I don't really have an answer on that. Um, yeah. But you at least need to keep up with inflation. And you should be marking up your materials too. Yeah. I mean, by some percentage, I don't know what a good percentage is, um, but something. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a, good, that's a good answer. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. So uh, the last question someone asked was, are you accepting new clientele? So this is, we just talked about this a few minutes ago. Um, I'm getting better at saying no. Okay. Uh, I really, I, two, three years ago, we said we will not work with anyone that doesn't have a bookkeeper. Uh, because what is happening is, is they come in in February, March with a mess. And we have eight weeks, sometimes less than eight weeks to get most of our work done for the year. Yeah. And to, to divert somebody away from doing a tax return to try and clean up a mess during that time was killing us. That's just killing us. And it's, and we were giving that work away for free. So how much do you do my tax return schedule? See, Oh, $550. And then they'd bring in all this crap and we'd spend, you know, six hours trying to make sense of this stuff and then do the tax return all lumped into this $550 fee. And it just it was nonsense. It just, it just killed us. Yeah. So the, the thing was, and we can't help you. I mean, all we're doing is the best we can to take the stuff you bought in, brought in, put it on a form and do the best we can with it. Didn't make us feel like we were doing our best. Mm -hmm. It's not our best. Yeah. We're, we're not high functioning intellectuals during those eight weeks. And the closer we get to April 15th, you don't want us trying to do high level thinking. Um, this is compliance. This is putting numbers on the form and doing the best that we can with the numbers from last year. Last year, not this year, last year. Those numbers should have been done a long time ago. So I moved it, not for many reasons. One, but I want to be able to help you. Right. Want, if you're my client, I want to be able to help you. And I can't help you without numbers. And, and you, you don't have time for numbers. It's not your skill set. Um, and I often refer out to other bookkeepers. It's not about generating more revenue for me. It was about making having a better relationship with my clients, being able to help them before the year is over. And then when it came to tax time, they're not being any questions. We're, we're taking the numbers that were done two months ago, putting them on the form and doing the best job with those numbers that we can. So, um, I, if whenever I don't listen to myself and I say yes, it ends up going very badly. 
um, the information, it just, it just doesn't end up, no one ends up being happy. I end up not being able to charge enough for all the work that we end up doing because it's all kind of muddled together in a tax return. Um, I don't feel good about it. I don't know that I've done the best job I can because the numbers were written on slips of paper and that I mean, that's, that's makes me really uncomfortable because I could probably do better. Right. I mean, if you had a complete set of books, I could probably do better than the bunch of stuff you brought in. Yeah. Because you're missing something. I know you're missing something. I can guarantee you you're missing something. Yeah. Um, because you pulled it together and, you know, at night getting ready for your tax appointment and you've missed something. Yeah. I know you have. And without, without separate bank account, everyone should have a separate bank account for the business, separate savings account, separate checking, separate savings, separate credit card. Doesn't mean that you need to uh, get one in the name of the company. If you already have one, just say mentally, okay, this is my business card. Right. I'm only using it for business. That is a huge first step. And if, if you're not there and you're commingling everything in your personal account, I, I definitely don't want to work with you because uh, I want to track every single thing going through those accounts and tracking stuff through your personal account. You're going to pay us for a lot of time that is really of no benefit to you because it's all personal stuff. Yeah. But if you can separate it, and this is 100% business over here, it makes everything tremendously easier to track, report, and know how you're doing. So that, that I probably should have started with that, but you have to have a separate checking account. You have to have a separate savings account. You have to have a separate credit card. Again, it doesn't have to be in the name of the business, but just mentally, that's your business card. Yeah. Keep, keep it that way. You know, maybe, maybe occasionally use the wrong card, okay? Um, but it's an accident. But carry both. I mean, I, I have my, uh, you know, my wallet, and some yeah. of those, two of those, one of those, one of those credit cards, well, actually, it's kind of lied. It's kind of lied. But, one is business, one is personal, and the Costco one is kind of both. Yeah. But but I have a personal QuickBooks and I have a business QuickBooks and I kind of break that one into two pieces. It's it's a pain. I mean, for me, it's it's a lot more work. But I do try and keep them somewhat separate. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 makes a lot of sense. That's helped me in my business exactly what I've done. So. Because otherwise, how, I mean, even if you wanted to look at the bank account as, as an idea of how you're doing, which I don't think you should do, but even if you wanted to do that and it was all commingled together, that's a really bad indicator of how well you're doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes for more work for everybody. Yeah. At the end of the day. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're looking to, for someone to help you, the first step is get those bank accounts and credit cards set up. Start using them. Get QuickBooks set up find somebody to help you. Uh, there are services out there and I forget the name, um, but there are services out there where they might be in India. I'm not sure where they are, but you know, they'll do some of this stuff for you on the cheap. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be a lot of money, but it's the first step to treating this like a business. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then to go to somebody to help you because if you walk into somebody with a bunch of, of stuff, different people, they can't help you. Yeah. I mean, they can't. So we touched, we touched on a couple things. If someone was looking or is looking for a new CPA, you know, we know they, you know, they, they want to watch out for red flags. We talked about a couple of them. Is there anything we missed? Should there be any interview questions you could recommend or any certifications? I mean, what, what, type uh, not, not specific to anything here. Um, okay. but you want to ask how much, you know, get a range, an idea of the range. 
uh, of fees. Uh, ask about bookkeeping. You know, do they do bookkeeping? Do they do payroll? Because again, if you can keep it all in one under one roof, you're going to save money right. in the long run. Uh, going for five bucks cheaper a month over here, or ten bucks cheaper a month over there. Ultimately, someone has to put that all together. Yeah, and that's probably going to be the CPA, um, and it's going to. It's just better to be together. And QuickBooks now can do payroll and everything in one place at a really reasonable cost. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to to pass on that. Um, see what else. Uh, check the websites. The Department of Consumer Affairs in California. You know, check their license. If they're an EA, there's got to be a website for checking their license. Um, ask around. Mm-hmm. Um, just get referrals. But if if someone's again, if someone's bragging about how much they write off, their their tax person writes off. That's not a good thing. Yeah, it's generally a bad thing. Yeah. Well, that's good to keep in mind. Do you think we missed anything here? Let's see. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting to work for yourself. I mean, it's, it is dangerous to work for yourself. Um, and at the end you just, you have to have an idea of where you stand financially and you won't do that until you, you get the numbers in order. You work backwards. Like you said, this is, this is my number that I need to support my household or at least my half of the household to get there. Okay. I need to charge this much. Right. And then trying to get that. Yeah. That's your, that's your, your expertise. Yep. Then we move into the sales, working yeah. on our sales. Yeah. Game. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Well, thank you for your time, Tom. I appreciate um, yeah. the advice and the answers to these questions and they're going to be valuable to uh, my listeners. And I know I'm going to get some great feedback. So We're good. So, I hope you have a uh, the good rest of your week. Enjoy your time off and, and your family. Yep. And we'll talk you to you again. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye.